welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 113. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing God of War Ragnarok, and it is finally time to jump into one of the biggest games of 2022, and it does not disappoint. I've also been playing the very interesting Entropy Center, plus be rounding up all the news from the Game Awards nominations and Nintendo's latest Indie World Showcase. I'm also going to be putting together a list of recommended games for new Xbox owners, so it's a busy show, so let's get to it! Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week! Yeah, I'm good this week, and Jeff Keighley was back this week with the Game Award nominations for 2022, setting up the holiday season nicely and the Game of the Year discussions as we hurtle towards the end of 2022. So I'm going to be putting out a Game of the Year episode on the 18th of December, just in time for that holiday season, and I'm going to be looking at the Game of the Year, plus also the News of the Year. But if you've got any big moments of the year that you think I should be talking about on that show, Get in contact through Twitter at TWIVG Podcast, if Twitter is still around by then, of course. Or you can also email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Or you can contact me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. I would really, really love to hear from you. Well, Nintendo put out an Indie World Showcase in the last few weeks, and it might have been one of the best Nintendo Directs of the year. It was short, it was sharp, it was snappy, and it was packed full of content with some great releases on the same day, plus some coming soon, and also setting the table for 2023. So the Steam Deck may have taken the wind out of Nintendo's sales a little bit concerning handheld indie titles, but Nintendo proved here that indies are still front and centre of their strategy, and they proved a massive hit with the audience so far. I'm going to go through everything from that direct later on in the show. Also, a very good friend of mine recently got a new Xbox Series X, so I thought I'd put together a list of games to check out, now, this is a personalised tour around Xbox Game Pass. Now, given we used to play video games together, and I'm hoping there's some ideas in there, you know, not only for my buddy Chris, but also for you. Now, I imagine loads of you will be getting a new console for the holidays. If it's an Xbox with Game Pass, then you can use this list as a starter for 10. Well, before we get into it today, it'd be great if you could leave a review over there on Apple Podcasts. So it really helps get the podcast some more eyes on it. So I'd have a link in the podcast description if you like the show and you want to leave a review. I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out the review on a future episode of the podcast. Well, This Week in Video Games is also powered by Patreon. You can check out the right tier for you over there on patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. So the tiers have been revamped into five easy-to-understand categories. We've got bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and producer. So bronze will get you early access to the podcast, silver get you audio versions of This Week in Video Games content, plus your name in the description of every podcast and YouTube video, gold gets you exclusive monthly bonus content like my upcoming God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast, and platinum will get your name read out on every podcast or YouTube video. Well the final tier is producer, and that goes above and beyond to support This Week in Video Games, so tiers start at only $3 per month, and that is less than a cup of coffee. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash this week in video games and find the right tier for you today. Well, that is going to be it for my waffly intro, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing God of War Ragnarok. So this one is the follow-up to 2018's God of War. It's bigger, it's more expansive. It's also really hard to talk about without going into spoilers. But I've put together my review and that is first up in the show. But if you want to check out the spoiler cast, 
Well, that is going to go up on Patreon very, very soon as the first exclusive monthly bonus episode for November 2022. So that's going to be going up the end of the month. It's going to be available for gold tier patrons. Well, today's review is spoiler free, so you don't have to worry about being spoiled if you're still making your way through the game. And that review is first up in the show. I've also been playing through the Entropy Center. This is a very clever portal-like puzzle game. I'll bring my thoughts to that one later on in the show. And finally, I've been playing Destiny 2. You know, many in the community are feeling the burnout right now. So today, I'm going to be looking forward to Season 19. And that kicks off on the 6th of December, which is only a few short weeks away. I'm going to be looking at the new dungeon, the weapons, the crucible changes, plus also potential story beats for Season 19 as we move into Lightfall coming in February 2023. Well, without further delay, let's dive into my review of God of War Ragnarok. It was always going to be tough following up on one of the best games of last generation. Sony Santa Monica did such a good job with God of War 2018, reimagining the story of Kratos and delivering a heart-hitting story with great action. The weight of expectation was almost palpable. Today, I'm going to bring you my review of God of War Ragnarok. Well, it's worth saying that this review is going to steer clear of major spoilers. There's so much in the game that is best experienced when you play through the game rather than it be spoiled. I'd recommend steering clear of spoilers if you possibly can. I'd like to start off by saying God of War Ragnarok is absolutely fantastic and lived up to my very high expectations. Now, I played through the original in 2018 and then played through it again recently to get ready for God of War Ragnarok. And this sequel manages to deliver when it comes to narrative, performance and action. Visually, it's stunning and the audio work is equally good. Now, it's a really big game as well and manages to keep a great pace throughout the game, twisting and turning, taking you from one location to the other rapidly. Mixing up the gameplay like puzzles, exploration, action, and also boss fights as well. You know, while you can come to this game fresh, I would definitely recommend playing through God of War 2018 if you want to get the most out of God of War Ragnarok. There is a catch-up video or animation on the start menu of Ragnarok, and while it does give you the main story beats, it doesn't really fill you in on the major detail. So Ragnarok picks up the story a few years after the final moments of God of War, Atreus is older, much more capable now. Before he had trouble looking after himself, but now Atreus is hunting, fully able to take care of himself and every now and again even manages to surprise Kratos. Well, he's no longer a child and Kratos knows that and he knows he's going to have to let him go soon. Well, the apocalypse is coming in the form of Ragnarok. Fimblewinter has laid a thick blanket of snow and ice across Midgard, although as Mimir comments in the game... Fimble Winter affects all the realms in different ways. Atreus is hungry to learn more about his prophecy, and he wants to find out more about his giant named Loki, and wants Kratos to trust his judgement. So God of War Ragnarok gets you into the action very quickly on the back of a sled, being pulled along by wolves, followed up by a very touching moment that really brought me very close to tears. That's a great example of the game grabbing you by the scruff of the neck, almost dragging you into the screen, and saying, strap in, you are going for a ride. The scale of God of War Ragnarok is really, really impressive. So God of War 2018 was tight in its goal and also its storytelling. The idea was simple. Kratos and Atreus had to climb a mountain and spread the ashes of Kratos' dead wife as per her instructions. 
Along the way, he travelled to different realms, but the goal was very, very clear. Here, in God of War Ragnarok, the scale and the scope has been increased. Now, this one is a huge game. You travel across multiple realms, and the cast has expanded to an ensemble cast, rather than just focusing on the father and son relationship between Kratos and Atreus. So while the game is big, you know, in set pieces, action, length and scale, it manages to take you along for the ride, and really, there is rarely a dull moment. God of War Ragnarok is all about prophecy and whether a character's destiny is set in stone or not. Sony Santa Monica take their time with the characters and dig deep into the themes, giving each character their time to shine. Sometimes this is through the main campaign, and often it's through side quests which have been really expanded in God of War Ragnarok, and they are much better. The story is great for the side quests and complements the main campaign, and the rewards are fitting for the time invested in those side quests. So this story is a great way to wrap up Kratos' Norse saga. You know, Sony Santa Monica said they wanted to finish up the Norse story in two parts, otherwise they'd be working on the Norse storyline for about 15 years in total. And the story is fantastic and it introduces plenty of new characters. Odin and Thor have been featured in the trailer for Ragnarok, and both of them deliver superb performances. There is a distinct mafia feel about them both, with Odin pulling the strings and Thor acting as the muscle. Now, the art direction and the character design is excellent too, and we're really used to seeing Thor as part of the MCU, and this is a very different depiction of him in Ragnarok. Well, there's plenty of other characters as well, I don't really want to go into them because it's a spoiler territory, but the cast of actors, they just add so much to the game. Sony Santa Monica have done a great job in capturing their performance. There's so much heart in the performance and so much emotion in the delivery. Now, Kratos is truly sullen, his past trauma surfaced in every word he utters. There's still room for brevity in the narrative. Loads of moments where you're going to laugh out loud. Now Christopher Judge takes his performance to the next level as Kratos. Overlooked in 2018 when Arthur Morgan's voice actor took home the Game Awards trophy. This year, to be honest, I really can't see past Christopher Judge for his performance as Kratos. It was really, really exceptional. Sonny Suljic does a great job with Atreus. At first, you aren't sure if it's the same voice actor, but it is, and he still plays the character really, really well, portraying a curious teenager, one who wants the trust of his father, but goes about it in very interesting ways. You've got Sindri, Brock, and Mimir. They are back, and this time their characters get much more time to shine, and we learn about their collective backstories, You know, with Mimir formerly serving Odin, and all the trouble he used to get up to, plus the eventful backstory of our two favourite blacksmith dwarves, Altogether, they breathe more life into this adventure, all adding to the scale of God of War Ragnarok. Well, the combat in Ragnarok has been upgraded as well, now with much more emphasis on elemental attacks. Kratos has access to his full weaponry from the first game, meaning a good combination of fire and ice. Now, the axe still feels great to throw, although I found myself getting a much more up close and personal this time round. Whereas in 2018, I found I would stand back and pick off enemies from a distance. Something has changed about the combat in Ragnarok. It's not quite Elden Ring levels of combat, you know, not at all, but there is much more to it. So at times, the combat does feel button mashy, although I'm only playing it on normal difficulty, and I'm sure if you crank up the difficulty, then it probably would be more intricate. Combat still feels great, although the blades don't quite feel like they have the weight to them this time round. For some reason, they feel much lighter than the axe. Also, word of warning, God of War Ragnarok is pretty violent. So much like 2018's God of War, but this seemed to raise it up another notch or two. 
Kratos is going to be ripping enemies in two, slicing them in half, stabbing them, hacking off their arms, and all this takes place as finishing moves. So it is fun the first few times. After a while, it does get a little bit tiring and shocking. You know, while I'm tearing through loads of enemies in this way, it also takes time for these animations. You know, and that is time where I could be going on the offensive or getting on with the story. Well, the new elemental attacks are a great addition. It would feel strange going back to the original now without them. You know, by holding down the triangle button with the axe in hand, that now gets covered in frost. You can throw it in for an ice attack. Similar, but with the opposite element with the blades. Now you stand there whirring the blades around in a circle before throwing them at your enemy for a fiery attack. Shields also play more of a role in this one. So quite early on in the game you get to select a shield that's either going to absorb loads of attacks or you get one where parrying is rewarded. And at first I took the one that was going to absorb the attacks but I quickly got tired of that and chose the parrying shield and this one felt much better. Runic attacks are back and they are definitely a welcome addition to your arsenal. So while it does feel satisfying taking on smaller enemies, there is a sense of going through the motions at times with the combat. Now, I don't know if it's because I've, I don't know if it's because I, I don't know if it's because I played God of War 2018 right before playing Ragnarok, but the combat did start to feel, <clears throat> but the combat did start to feel a little bit samey, and I was wanting to simply get through it to get to the boss fight or the next, or the next chapter of the story. Yeah, boss fights are really grand in scale. They are impressive set pieces as they were in the first game, although they feel leveled up in Ragnarok. You know, bosses range from big monsters to fighting smaller one-on-one -on -one fights, and they all go above and beyond what was in God of War 2018. Yeah, puzzles are fairly often through the campaign, mainly as you navigate the land, trying to get from A to B with Atreus. Puzzles tend to be redirecting water or getting across bridges or unlocking doors. You know, that kind of thing. They are entertaining and very different than... So they are they are entertaining and they're very different than the combat. I did find a little bit they interrupted the flow and I found myself completing puzzles more often. The biggest negative about the game is Kratos' companions don't leave enough time for you to solve the puzzle by yourself. You arrive at a puzzle and it's only a few seconds before Atreus or Mimir literally tell you how to solve the puzzle. Now, I couldn't find anything in the settings to turn this off you can increase the timer to give yourself a few more seconds, but ultimately, they are just going to give you the solution. Now, I imagine this is going to be great for some players, but it didn't work for me. If the puzzles are going to be there, then I want to solve them myself. Otherwise, they just seem a little bit pointless. Kratos and co. travel from realm to realm often in this game, plus we get to see loads of new realms, which we haven't seen, and that was really, really exciting. The size and the scale of these play spaces are impressive as are the variety in the enemies and the location design. So as you explore each place, Nordic lore is presented in the form of collectibles, and it's worth going through all the lore at some point. And it's all really, really well written and interpreted from Sony Santa Monica. You know, Kratos does return to realms he's been to before, but they are changed, and there are differing enemies to make it feel updated. And it is really, really good to go back to old locations and recognise the changes, but it's even better going to these new locations. Overall, God of War Ragnarok is an excellent sequel. It somehow manages to go above and beyond the original game to give us a great ending to Kratos and Atreus' Norse adventures. There's also so many first-class efforts here from Sony Santa Monica, including writing, performance, artwork, character modelling, audio design, combat. The game is a true 10 out of 10 in every way. 
Now, I don't think it's a perfect video game by any stretch. It is quite similar to 2018's God of War, albeit turned up to 11. So one thing I am certain of, this release is going to cement Sony Santa Monica as one of the best developers in the world, right up there with Naughty Dog and the Zelda team from Nintendo. You know, whatever they do next, sign me up. I'm absolutely interested. Well, the game was developed by Sony Santa Monica as published by PlayStation Studios. It's available for the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5, and originally it was released on the 9th of November 2022. Well, that is it for my review of God of War Ragnarok. Really, really good fun and definitely recommend playing it. You know, this has got to be one of the best games out there for the PS5 right now. But next up, Jeff Keighley was back this week with the Game Award nominations for 2022. So let's head on over to that now. Okay, before we dive into the Game Award nominations, thanks to Game Informer for providing this information. So definitely go over to GameInformer.com and show that team some love. During a live event stream last week, Jeff Keighley and the team behind the Game Awards revealed their nominees for the 2022 awards this season, including their six picks for Game of the Year. Well, the show is going to take place in person at the Microsoft Theatre in Los Angeles, California. It's also going to be streamed online for free on Thursday, the 8th of December at 7.30 p.m. ET, and that is 4.30 p.m. PT. And if you want to vote, you can do so on the Game Awards official website or the Discord server. But let's dive into the full list of nominations now. So for Game of the Year, we've got a Plague Tale Requiem. Get Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, we've got Stray, and also Xenoblade Chronicles 3. For Best Game Direction, we've got Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Immortality, and Stray. And for Best Narrative, we've got a Plague Tale Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, and Immortality. So a little bit of love shown to Immortality. We've got Best Art Direction next, so Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Scorn, and Stray. So Stray getting a couple of high-profile nods there. Well, next up, we've got Best Score and Music. So A Plague Tale, Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Metal Hellsinger, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So good to see Metal Hellsinger there. And also Xenoblade Chronicles 3, you know, never really misses with its music. Well, next up, we've got Best Audio Design. So it's Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Gran Turismo 7, and also Horizon Forbidden West. Next up, Best Performance, we've got Ashley Birch, Horizon Forbidden West, Charlotte McBurney, A Plague Tale Requiem, Christopher Judge, God of War Ragnarok, Manon Gage, Immortality, Sonny Suljic, God of War Ragnarok. As I mentioned before, any God of War Ragnarok review, I can't really see past Christopher Judge, so hopefully he gets it this time, because it was an absolutely amazing performance. Next up, we've got Games for Impact, so A Memoir Blue, As Dust Falls, Citizen Sleeper, Endling, Extinction is Forever, Hindsight, and I Was a Teenage Exocolonist. So I haven't played too many of these, but I did play Citizen Sleeper. Definitely recommend checking that one out if you haven't already. Next up, we've got Best Ongoing Games, so Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy XIV, Fortnite, and Genshin Impact. So normally, I would say Destiny 2, but it has had a rough few months over the last... But it has had a rough time over the last few months absolutely shedding users and the community is in a real real tough spot right now fortnite has had a massive year especially with the introduction of no build mode so it's going to be really interesting to see who takes home the gong for this one 
Well, next up, we've got Best Indie. So, Cult of the Lamb, Neon White, Sifu, Stray, and Tunic. And that is a really, really strong category. Sifu was really, really good fun. Tunic, also really, really good. I didn't get to Cult of the Lamb myself, but Neon White was excellent. So, I think, if pushed, Sifu takes it home for me. Then we've got Best Debut Indie, Neon White, Norco, Stray, Tunic, and Vampire Survivors. So, there is a massive lack of Vampire Survivors on the other lists. So hopefully it's going to take home this award. Next up, we've got Best Community Support. So Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy XIV, Fortnite, and No Man's Sky. And hopefully Destiny 2 and Bungie take home that award. Next up, we've got Best Mobile. So it's Apex Legends Mobile, Derbler, Immortal. Can't believe that is on the list. Genshin Impact, Marvel Sap. Also Tower of Fantasy. And I reckon hopefully Marvel Snap will take home this award. That is definitely one of the best games of the year so far. Next up, we've got Best VR and AR, so After the Fall, Among Us, VR, Bone Lab, Moss Book 2, and also Red Matter 2. And then we've got Best Action, so Bayonetta 3, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, Neon White, Sifu, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. And really good to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge on this list, although I really, really like the Cowabunker collection, but I guess that was a collection of old games rather than a new game. Next up, Best Action and Adventure, so a Plague Tale Requiem, getting a lot of love in the list as well. You know, in Game of the Year, I cannot believe a Plague Tale Requiem got nominated for Game of the Year, but there you go. We've got God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and also Tunic. Next up, we've got Best Role Playing, so Elden Ring, Live Alive, good to see that making a list. Pokemon Legends Arceus, we've got Triangle Strategy, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Next up, we've got Best Fighting, so DNF Duel. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, King of Fighters 15, Multiverses, I reckon that one is probably going to take it. And then we've got Sifu, pretty weird that Sifu is in best fighting game. Normally fighting games are player versus player, but there you go. Next up we've got best family game, so Kirby in the Forgotten Land. So Kirby, definitely underrepresented here in the Game of the Year lists. We've got Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, Mario plus Rabbids Spark of Hope, Nintendo Switch Sports and Autos. And also Splatoon 3. Next up, we've got Best Sim and Strategy. So we've got Dune, Spice Wars, Mario Plus Rabbids, Spark of Hope, Total War, Warhammer 3, Two Point Campus, and Victoria 3. And then we've got Best Sports Games, so F1 22. We've got FIFA 23, NBA 2K 23, Gran Turismo 7, and Oli Oli World. And personally, I hope Oli Oli World takes it. That was a really, really good game. Next up, best multiplayer, so Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, Multiverses, Overwatch 2, Splatoon 3, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. For me, Overwatch 2 was probably the best out of the list. I didn't get to play Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2. I did like a little bit of Multiverses, but for me, Overwatch 2, that was the best multiplayer game of the year. Next up, most anticipated, so Final Fantasy 16, Hogwarts Legacy, Resident Evil 4, Starfield, and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Well, it's only one game for me, and it is Tears of the Kingdom. Cannot wait till May the 12th, 2023, until that one comes out. Well, next up, we've got Content Creator of the Year. This is a bit of a weird category. To be honest, I don't know many of these people. So Carl Jacobs, Ludwig, Nibelian, Naburu, and QT Cinderella. And hopefully, Nibelian takes it. I know he quit Twitter, I know he quit social media and everything, but to be honest, he did the best work out of this list for me. Next up, Best Adaptations, we've got Arcane, The League of Legends, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, The Cuphead Show, 
Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and also Uncharted. I think out of all of these things, Cyberpunk Edge Runners for me was the best. Although Arcane League of, Le Although Arcane League of Legends, I know, is very, very good and it has lots of fans. Next up, we got innovation in accessibility. So As Dust Falls, God of War Ragnarok, Return to Monkey Island, The Last of Us Part One, and The Quarry. So I probably be, I would be surprised if The Last of Us Part One didn't take it. I know the accessibility options in that game were absolutely incredible. Next up, best esports games: so Counter Strike, Global Offensive, Dota 2, League of Legends, Rocket League, and Valorant. I think that list stays the same nearly every year. And then we got best esports athlete. So we've got Chovy, Faker, Carrigan, Simple, and Yay. And then finally, we've got best esports teams, so Dark Zero Esports, FaZe Clan, Gen G, LA Thieves, and Loud. And next up, we've got best esports coach. So we've got Blade, BZKA, Doom Bros, Robberdan, and Score. And finally, best esports events. We've got Evo 2022, 2022 League of Legends World Championship, PLG, PGL Major Antwerp, that's in 2022, the 2022 Mid-Season Invitational, and the Valorant Champions 2022. Well, that is it for the Game Awards 2022 nominations. So I think the Game Awards are taking place on Thursday, December the 8th. So I'm going to be back a few days after that, and I'll report back on the winners. And of course, don't forget, I'm doing my own Game of the Year episode on December the 18th. So really, really looking forward to that. Well, that is it for the Game of the Year nominations 2022. And next up, let's have a look at some of the top Xbox games to get. Well, I'm sure many of you will be getting a new Xbox soon, whether it's for your birthday, Christmas, or just because you decided to treat yourself. Now, a good friend of mine, Chris, recently did the same thing, went out and bought himself an Xbox Series X, so given I run a video games YouTube channel and podcast, I thought I'd put together a guide of 10 games to check out on the Xbox. You're going to need Xbox Game Pass to check out these games, but it is incredible value. So if you don't have Xbox Game Pass, you really, really should give it a try. So I've made this list nice and varied, including new games, old games, surprise hits from 2022 and some modern classics from the last five years. So while this is a list tailored for Chris, hopefully you're going to find some inspiration in here as well. Without further delay, let's dive into this list. Well, first of all, we've got the Halo Master Chief Collection. So this is a great place to start. Here we've got Halo Combat Evolved, Halo 2, Halo 3, Halo 4, ODST and Halo Reach. And it's great to relive the multiplayer on the maps we played so much together. And it's also good to go back through the campaigns. Now, I didn't really appreciate the single player campaigns or co-op campaigns at the time, but I have since learned to love them. And here is a great collection of story content. Now, originally, this collection was played with issues, but 343 Studios have done a great job in bringing it up to standard, and it's the definitive way to experience the Halo franchise these days. So I played a few games of multiplayer, and it reminded me of our setup in Middleton Road with two CRT TVs back-to-back, -back, where we'd either be able to play against each other or as a team. You know, Halo 3 multiplayer probably lives most vividly in the memory, especially that level on the beach from the Halo 3 beta. Well, next up, we've got Somerville. So at the time of publishing this, Somerville is a brand new game from the co-founder of Playdead, who released classics like Limbo and Inside. This one is all about a catastrophe happened to a family, and you have to work to make your family whole again. So it's a sci-fi adventure where you have to navigate dangerous terrain and uncover the mysteries of Earth visitors. 
You know, developers have a pedigree, and once you're done with Somerville, I definitely recommend checking out Limbo and Inside. Well, next up, we've got Dead Cells, and Dead Cells is a modern classic. This is a 2D side-scrolling action platformer, similar to Castlevania. As you progress through the levels, you collect new abilities and powers, and your objective is to clear the whole game with a single life. Now, it's tough, but it can be very rewarding when you get the right mix of weapons and abilities. So originally released in 2018, this game has had various updates since then, including new story and quality of life changes. It's also a shining example of game feel and how to get that right, because Dead Cells feels near perfect to play. It's fast, you've got great jumping and dashing, plus the weapons have variety and a real heft to them. If you like side-scrolling games, this is one of the best. Well, next up, we've got Alien Isolation. So I always remember you talking about playing an alien game with Jordan, you know, where you'd be in the tunnels and you'd see the alien creeping up behind you with that classic blip on the monitor screen. So Alien Isolation is probably the closest you're going to get to that experience. Rather than action, this is very much a horror survival game and stays very true to the original Alien movie. There's loads of suspense and a few jump scares and the AI of the Xenomorph is very good. You know, there's nothing more terrifying than crouching and hiding while the alien is slowly walking around trying to find you. you know, personally, horror games really creep me out, but this one may give you a healthy dose of nostalgia. Well, next up we've got Power Wash Simulator. So this one is a strange one. It's a power washing simulator and it's one of the breakout indie hits of 2022. The premise doesn't sound fun, but when you play the game, it is very, very therapeutic. This is all about power washing things, vans, gardens, various objects. You know, the power washing tool has various nozzles, much like a real power washing tool might have. Now, it's the perfect game to switch off to, maybe put on some music or a podcast or listen to the TV. Now, it's perfect if you've had a busy day at work and want to wind down. There's no puzzles, no frustrating combat. Just get into the power washing zone and simply relax. Well, next up, we've got Kentucky Route Zero. So this one is a text-based narrative adventure, much like reading a good book. It's also one of the best written video games of the last 10 years. The story focuses on a group of misfits on a mission to find the Zero, a lost highway that doesn't appear on any map. And in terms of gameplay, you walk and read and pick up clues. It's bleak and at times reminds me of something David Lynch might produce. It's one of those narrative experiences that stays with you years after experiencing it. Well, next up, we've got Titanfall 2, and Titanfall 2 is probably most famous for having the best campaign in any first-person shooter. It's got a similar look and feel to Halo, albeit you've got a huge mech, which you can jump in and out of throughout the gameplay sequences. If you like first-person shooters, this is simply a must-play. It was developed by Respawn, now famous for games like Apex Legends, a battle royale set in the Titanfall universe that was released to compete with the likes of Fortnite and PUBG. Now, Titanfall 2 was originally dead on release because it came out during the release of Call of Duty and Battlefield in their heyday, meaning it didn't really find an audience for its multiplayer. Its campaign, however, is one of the very best. Well, next up, we've got The Outer Wilds, and The Outer Wilds is an open-world adventure game where you get to explore a solar system. The twist is, is roughly after 20 minutes, the sun explodes and you have to figure out why and stop it. Each time you go through a playthrough, you collect different bits of knowledge and information. You have to put it all together and prevent the life-ending explosion. You've got your own little spaceship and you can explore a number of different planets. It's all beautifully handcrafted with their own puzzles, life and vegetation. 
Yeah, the game doesn't hold your hand, but it's worth persevering as it's up there with the very best games released in the last five years. Well, next up, we've got Halo Infinite. So Halo Infinite is 343's latest entry to the Halo series. It's an open world take on Halo. There's a huge campaign, plus a free-to-play multiplayer with many of your favourite modes. Now, this is one of the better-feeling Halo games from 343. Halo 4 and Halo 5 didn't feel quite right to me, and this one feels much more like classic Halo than Halo 2 or Halo 3. So Halo Infinite plays homage to what Halo Combat Evolved did on the original Xbox. This game also has a bit of history, given it was supposed to come out in 2020 with the launch of the Xbox Series X. Then it was delayed for a year, only to come out pretty half-baked. It has a great reception on the multiplayer release, and then the player base quickly fell away and the complaints came in from the audience, saying it wasn't as fully featured as the Master Chief Collection. Personally, I think it's great fun and a good modern take on the Halo franchise. Well, finally, we've got my favourite one, and this, of course, is Destiny 2. So this is the one for me, you know, Destiny 2, it's got a free-to-play version via the store rather than Xbox Game Pass. So, so this is the follow-up to Halo from Bungie and builds in MMO RPG mechanics on top of what made Halo great. To me, there's no better feeling first-person shooters out there, and Destiny 2 does have a decent multiplayer if that is your thing. My main focus in the game is the PvE side, or the player versus enemies. That means story, campaigns, dungeons and raids. If you level up and get into the end game, this is where the real fun begins, with huge six-person raids, three-person dungeons, and some of the most satisfying fun I've ever had in gaming. Destiny 2 can seem a little bit impenetrable sometimes, but it's good fun solo or with a team, plus it has a thriving community and plenty of people willing to chip in and help out. At its core, it is a first-person shooter, where you travel around the solar system killing bad guys in space. If you like the free-to-play version of the game, I'd recommend buying the Witch Queen expansion. Yeah, that has a killer campaign. Also, if you are checking out this guide at the time of release, I do believe over on the Xbox store at the minute, every Destiny 2 expansion is about 50% off, so now is a fantastic time to jump into Destiny 2. Well, if you do get a new Xbox sometime soon, I really hope you enjoy it. And Xbox Game Pass has a wealth of games in there. It's the best value in gaming for sure whether you're interested in new games, classic games, or some of the greatest hits. Well, Chris, this one is for you. I hope you enjoy your new Xbox, and hopefully we can dive into a co-op game or something really, really soon. Well, that is it for my top 10 games you should get if you get a new Xbox and Xbox Game Pass. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, at number 10 this week, up two places from last week's number 8, this is Minecraft. At number 9, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons, down two places from last week's number 7. At number 8 this week, it's Splatoon 3, that is down three places from last week's number 5. At number 7, up five places from last week's number 12, it's Horizon Forbidden West. At number 6, it's Nintendo Switch Sports, that is down two places from last week's number 4. At number 5, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down two places from last week's number 3. At number four is a new entry, is Sonic Frontiers. At number three is FIFA 23, down one place from last week's number two. At number two, down one place from last week's number one, it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And we got a new entry at number one, it's God of War Ragnarok. I'm not really surprised, this is absolutely fantastic. So congrats to Sony Santa Monica for this week's number one.
Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's check out the latest Nintendo Indie World Showcase. Well, Nintendo Indie World was back recently, showing off some great indie games coming soon to Nintendo Switch. This is one of the strongest showings from a Nintendo Indie Showcase in a while, featuring big-hitting indies, plus we've got some games released shortly after the presentation's finished which is always good news. Well, in terms of the headlines, there's a few games I'm going to be paying particular attention to. So Pepper Grinder, that one really stood out. A little to the left, that looks interesting. Rogue Legacy 2, that is a great game coming to Nintendo Switch. And also Sports Story, the follow-up to Golf Story, that one is coming out in December. So I'm going to get into the details of each of them right now. Well, first up, we've got Venber. This is a cooking narrative game from Visai Games focused on an immigrant Indian mother in 1980s Canada. It's a story of love and loss that plays out in the game through cooking and branching narratives. This one is due to arrive on Nintendo Switch in spring 2023. Well, next up we've got Goodbye World. This one is from Yo Fuji. It's a game about an indie game developer trying to find inspiration for the next project. From a gameplay perspective, it's a puzzle platform mixed in there with a narrative adventure. And Goodbye World is due for release later in November 2022. Next up, Have a Nice Death. So this one is a 2D action roguelike from Magic Design Studios where we play as Death. This is a hack and slash platformer. It looks quite similar to Dead Cells from a gameplay perspective. You've got over 70 weapons and spells for players to collect as they make their way through Death Inc., the big corporate underworld, and the main environment for the game. There's a ton of enemies, mini-bosses and bosses, and Have a Nice Death comes to Nintendo Switch on the 22nd of March, 2023. Well, next up, we've got AKA or Akka. So it's an open world game by Cosmo Gatto. Cross between a farming sim and an exploration adventure. Players take on the role as Akka, who's on a quest to find inner peace. There's loads of different environments to traverse, including mountains, deserts, forests, and islands. Players have to grow crops, craft items, and raise dragons. This one is coming to Nintendo Switch on the 15th of December, 2022. Next up, we've got Pepper Grinder. This is probably the best trailer in the showcase for me. Pepper Grinder is all about a small character called Pepper who travels through the environment with a big drill. This is a 2D action platformer where you burrow through environments with a big drill, puzzles and take on enemies. And this one is being published by Devolver Digital, which brings with it a certain level of quality and it's coming to Switch in 2023. Well, next up we've got Coffee Talk Episode 2, Hibiscus and Butterfly. So Coffee Talk is a narrative adventure game which is all about conversations and making coffee, you play as a barista working in a late-night coffee shop having conversations with customers. Well, next up we've got Oni, Road to the Mightiest Oni. This one is from Kenai Design and Shusha Games, and tells the story of Japanese folklore and a warrior called Kuta. It looks similar to Breath of the Wild, albeit with a hint of anime. Next up we've got Desta, The Memories Between. It's a game about the protagonist returning home after the death of their father. Relationships with friends and family are broken down. However, when they fall asleep, they go into another world. This is all about healing connections, and due to this, you have to play a turn-based ball game. It's a character-driven roguelike ball game about loss, and comes to Switch in early 2023. Next up, we've got Space for the Unbound, and this one is an adventure game in set in 90s Indonesia. It stars Atmar and Rayar, two high school sweethearts. There's some kind of mysterious force that is threatening them, 
and together they have to overcome it. And it's coming to Nintendo Switch on the 19th of January, 2023. Next up, we've got Dordoin, and this one is a narrative adventure game from developer Unjuna Sequa. It is about childhood summers, and it follows Mimi as she returns home after the death of her grandmother, and she goes through old memories, plus it's all about solving puzzles. There's a good amount of flashbacks in the game, and you get to play as Mimi as a 10-year-old girl. Next up, we got Botany Manor. This one is from Balloon Studios, and you play as Arabella Green, and you have to solve a load of plant-based puzzles. You have to explore the grounds of the manor, find seeds, put them in pots, find them in their habitat, as well as find clues from newspaper clippings, and it's coming to Nintendo Switch in 2023. Next up, we've got Once Upon a Jester, a really interesting game where you play as sock puppets putting on theatre productions. It really sounds as crazy as it is. Players have to sing, improvise, and outperform everyone they meet on their travels. Probably the most unique title seen in the Nintendo Direct, and this one is available right now. Next up, we've got Rogue Legacy 2, and this one has been out for other platforms already this year, and it is a great game. It's a roguelike, procedurally generated action platformer. Each run is done by the heir of a character before, so the players evolve in new and very interesting ways. This one flew slightly under the radar in earlier 2022, but it definitely is a perfect game for Nintendo Switch, plus it's out right now. Well, next up, we've got Blonk. So Blonk is a co-op adventure between a wolf cub and a fawn. Each animal has their own unique advantages, and they need to combine their abilities to navigate the frozen landscape and get back to their families. This one is a console exclusive on Nintendo Switch and releases on the 14th of February 2022. Well, next up, we got A Little to the Left. This one is a puzzle game where you got to sort, stack, and tidy various scenes and items. Players explore and uncover puzzles hidden in a regular household environment, and players have to arrange books in order, tidy things up, and sometimes even the household cat will try and ruin everything. This one reminded me of unpacking, although with a little bit more focus on tidying and arranging items. And finally, we had Sports Story. So the highly anticipated follow-up to Golf Story, the very successful indie RPG, has been given another update, plus we got a release date of December 2022. Sports Story adds more sports, including football, tennis, fishing, BMX, volleyball, and cricket. Plus you got questing, dungeons, minigames, treasure hunts. There's no wonder this game has taken a really long time to come out. The developer's sidebar games are packing a whole load of content in here, and Golf Story is definitely one of the best indie RPGs on Nintendo Switch, and it's going to be great to see the follow-up coming in only a few short weeks. Well, as well as the main trailer, there are a few smaller announcements as well, so Wobble Dogs, that comes out on the 17th of November, Inscription, that is on the, that is on the 1st of December, Storyteller, 23rd of March 2023, and WrestleQuest, that one is coming out in May 2023, and they were all announced for Nintendo Switch. Well, really, really exciting times for indies on Nintendo Switch, but that is it for Nintendo's Indie World Showcase. Next up, let's check out my review of the Entropy Center. The Entropy Center is a very clever puzzle game set in space allows you to manipulate time, plus it's all wrapped up in a really neat narrative that is going to tug on your heartstrings. The Entropy Center is Portal adjacent, but that's a compliment given Portal is probably one of the best games ever. Yeah, when you start out the game, you wake up in a deserted space station. It's abandoned. It looks like people haven't been around for some time. It's fallen into disrepair, and it's unknown if any of the equipment even still works. 
Fortunately, you manage to find this powerful weapon that allows you to solve physics-based puzzles, and, ten and they do tend to revolve around placing cubes on sensor pads on the floor. The Entropy Center doesn't shy away from the portal comparisons, and it's so close that it has to be intentional. With a focus on the puzzles in the Entropy Center are around time, your Entropy Gun can rewind items and objects, and that means you have to flip your brain into a very different way of thinking to solve these puzzles. For example, you may have to place them on a particular pad in a sequence and get through locked doors at the same time. And at first, the puzzles are brain teasers. Once you get the hang of the logic, they do tend to repeat within the same framework later on in the game. Well, the game is roughly 10 hours long, and once you focus on a puzzle, look at the solution from the end to the beginning, the puzzles start to unravel. And it's going to take a few puzzles to get your brain into the right mode for the entropy center. But once you're there, it's almost like a key that unlocks the rest of the game. About halfway through the game, new mechanics open up and ramp up the difficulty once again. And while these new mechanics were fun, they weren't quite as good as the initial rewind time concept. You know, one of the best things about this game for me is the story. It's a science fiction story that manages to ramp up the tension, plus ask some probing questions about the future, what you have control over, and what is the inevitable. You know, similar to the themes around prophecy in God of War Ragnarok, albeit in a very different setting. The entropy center itself feels like it's breaking down all around you, which only adds to the sense of dread. It's just like a slow physical countdown timer ticking. You know, it gives off similar vibes to other, so it gives off similar so it gives off similar vibes to other journeys through space, like Moon or the Passengers. And the game also tackles time travel, which is notoriously difficult to pull off. But it takes me back to some of my favourite moves of all time. You know, personally, I think the game would have benefited from a more defined countdown timer similar to The Outer Wilds, where you've got 20 minutes until the sun explodes. So the dread is here, and you feel it, but it's a little bit too slow to get you motivated. It feels a little bit too far out rather than an immediate threat. The sporting environment for the game is great. You know, voice actors do a really, really good job, and the game looks and sounds great. The writing, to be honest, is a little bit hit and miss, and here it's difficult to live up to the lofty standards set by Portal, However, it's not bad by any means, and all these things combined you know, really help the Entropy Center make an entertaining package to complement the puzzles. Overall, the Entropy Center is really good fun. It plays with some interesting concepts, but it doesn't quite live up to the obvious comparisons to Valve's Portal. You know, in its own right, the puzzles are good, although the time rewind mechanic does get a little bit stale after a while. So if you're a fan of sci-fi and puzzle games, I do think it's worth trying. Also, I have to send a shout out to the publisher, for providing a review copy of the game. Well, the game was developed by Stubby Games. It was published by Playstack. It's available for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox One PC, Xbox Series S and X. It was originally released on the 3rd of November, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of the Entropy Center, but next up, the Destiny community is in unrest at the minute. Everyone is a little bit frustrated and disgruntled. So I'm gonna start looking forward to what's coming up soon. Hopefully, that's going to get you excited. Well, next up, let's have a look at my Destiny 2 Season 19 preview and everything we know so far. Well, Season 19 is just around the corner with it all kicking off on the 6th of December, 2022. Now, this is the final season of the Witch Queen expansion and Bungie, they're going to want to make it a good one as we lead into the Lightfall expansion in February 2023. 
Today, I'm going to look through everything that we know so far, including information related to that new dungeon. We've got weapons, crucible, sandbox, economy, raid weapon crafting, and also speculate on where the story may go. Well, first of all, let's start out with the things that we know, and one of those things is the new dungeon that is coming to Destiny 2. The last dungeon we had was Duality, and that was from Season of the Haunted, focusing on Keitel and Callus. Yeah, we don't yet know the theme of the dungeon in Season 19, but we do know it's going to launch at reset time on Friday the 9th of December 2022, and if this is like other recent dungeons like Grasp of Avarice and Duality, then we're going to get a host of new and returning weapons, and maybe even an exotic at the end. We're talking about weapons, next up let's have a look at weapons leaving. So we've got a few weapons rotating out of the loot pool next season, and they include... So in Iron Banner we've got Forge's Pledge, that is a pulse rifle, and Reese Walker, that is a shotgun. And at the time of publishing, we do have about 48 hours of Iron Banner left this season. So if you want either the Forge's Pledge or the Reese Walker shotgun, go out there and get them right now. Well, in Trials of Osiris, Aisha's embraced the Scout Rifle and Reed's forget the Linear Fusion Rifle. Those two are going away. In terms of the Nightfall weapons, Silicon Neroma, that is a sniper rifle, and Duty Bound, that is an auto rifle. Those ones are also going away as well. Hopefully, we're going to see plenty of new weapons added as part of next season. You know, we should have two new Nightfall weapons. Well, with two Nightfall weapons rotating out, we'll likely see some more D2 weapons coming back. I would love to see spare rations. But, to be honest, we don't have a shortage of 140 hand cannons. Well, let me know in the comments or on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast which weapons you want to see come back. Well, next up we've got Crucible, so Iron Banner is set to rotate in a new game mode. So this season it's been all about Eruption, and that has been much better for the game mode rather than Rift. I think next up we've got Iron Banner Fortress, and Bungie did a massive Crucible post this week at Bungie this week. So go over to Bungie.net. Or you can check out my dedicated video to those changes on YouTube, and you can just search up This Week in Video Games. You know, Bungie are likely to keep tweaking and changing SBMM in control. Plus, we've got that rework coming to the competitive place. We're going to have a true ranked playlist. So it's really unbelievable. After eight years of Destiny, we're finally getting a true ranked playlist. So really, really exciting stuff. Next up, we've got Deepstone Crafting. We're in Season 19, we're going to be able to craft Deepstone Crypt weapons, which is very exciting given they are some of the better weapons in the game. They've got the shotgun and the sniper in particular are really, really good. So Deepstone Crypt will have a chance at dropping craftable versions of the weapon, with Bungie saying this in their recent update. Well, each encounter has a chance to drop a deep sight version of raid weapons, and players may purchase one per week from the final chest after defeating Tanix. When Deepstone Crypt is the featured raid of the week, encounter drops are uncapped. That means you can run a full raid and each encounter multiple times, hunting for deep sight weapon drops. Also, we've got big changes coming to the economy. Planetary materials that have been in Destiny since 2014, they are all going to be removed. And here is a list of everything that is leaving. So dustlight shards, microphasic data lattice, helium filaments, byron bells, spin metal leaves, glacial stalwart. So Rahul is going to be offering 5,000 glimmer for stacks of destination materials. So 5,000 for 20 or 250 each. If you're like me and you've got plenty of these, Make sure to get rid of them at Rahul before the start of Season 19. Next up, we've got some sandbox changes. So we've got major changes coming to abilities, bringing the intensity of abilities down in PvP, whilst maintaining their effectiveness in PvE. So here's the headlines for all the abilities. So solar, restoration-based healing is being reduced. At times 1, that means reduced from 25 to 20. At times 2, from 40 to 32.5. And it's going to no longer stack with the healing rifts. 
So with Void, improvements are coming to Void over Shields, which have a bug, and Bungie are buffing them to 50% rather than 25%. Nova Bombs are going to get a buff too, with the projectile speed increased by 21%, and the radius and inward pull by 17%. In terms of Arc, Storm Grenades are getting a big nerf, and with Stasis, Bungie wants to buff Stasis, but not make it as oppressive as when it first came out. In terms of seasonal events, we should have two seasonal events in Season 19, with the Dawning, the holiday event in Destiny 2 where the tower is covered in snow, and we get to bake cookies for our friends. And it's always a fun time, plus now it's going to contribute towards the Reveler Seal, which tracks all events. And hopefully, Bungie's going to make this one a little bit less grindy than Festival of the Lost, but I doubt they've had time to correct things, to be honest. We should be also getting Moments of Triumph, which is the end-of-year celebration, where we get to have a look back at what we've achieved throughout the year. Well, next up, we got the exciting bit, so that leaves us with the story. And this is the final season of The Witch Queen, which is going to lead us into Lightfall. And we know from the trailers that Lightfall is set on Neptune, so it's likely sometime in the season we're going to find out how to get there. Well, after The Witch Queen campaign, we got a message on the investigation board on Mars. It said, new intel awaits you on the evidence board, and the report includes a note to Ikora. So according to this, before infuriating Yuga Sundown, Rasputin killed all protection measures in place for human colonies and settlements. There's a big list of codenames for the moon, Mars, Earth, the Exodus ships, etc. But Rasputin also refers to a place called Nefeli Stronghold. No record of that in any of our databases, forwarding to AB for a cross-reference. And the follow-up message from Anna Bray brings up more questions than it answers. So no hit on Nefeli Stronghold in any of Rasputin's records, can't even find the original transcript you're quoting. And if it's real, someone removed all traces of it. And if they did, they did it so cleanly, I'd suspect Rasputin himself. Well, the last time we heard about Rasputin was in Season of Arrivals, when he was shut off by the arriving pyramid ships. Anna did her best to save him and put him in an engram for safekeeping, perhaps to transfer him into an exo body at a later date. And hopefully that's going to happen in Season 19. With Rasputin safely inside an engram, the knowledge that we've got somewhere called Nefeli Stronghold, that could be the clues to the new dungeon coming in Season 19. Nefeli's translated means Goddess of the Clouds, and Stronghold is a place that is fortified to protect it from attack, and we know that Lightfall is going to focus on a city on Neptune called Neomuna, and that is hidden in the clouds on Neptune, plus they've got the Cloud Striders, which are like Guardians, they are like modified humans. So given Rasputin deleted all traces of Nefeli's stronghold, it's likely we're going to have to consult with Anna Bray and perhaps remove Rasputin from his engram and put him into an exo-body. It could be that Rasputin has some weapons in there be useful for our fight against the Witness. So we've been gathering allies all over the past few seasons and Rasputin and Anna Bray would definitely be powerful allies. I can see the story focusing on Rasputin and sometime throughout the season his AI transferred from the engram and put into their exo body. Much like Alden Sov was originally supposed to be called the Crow, and then that happened in the game, Rasputin was supposed to have an exo body, but we never saw that happen. You know, looking at the Lightfall marketing material, we can also see Osiris, so at some point this season I imagine Osiris is going to wake up and help us on our travels to Neptune. I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw a major death this season as we move into Lightfall, however, that last bit is pure speculation. Now, if we do get a season focused around Rasputin, that leaves room to bring back some great weapons and armour, including the Seraph weapons and the Ikelos weapons. Now, it'd be great to see an origin trait for these weapons, 
and bring them in line with modern weapons in the game. You know, all the Iclos weapons are great. We could even see the return of Warmind cells. And while they were phased out in favour of Charger Light mods and Elemental Wells, it's really, really good to see them come back and see how they fit in the modern sandbox. Well, that is it for everything we know about Season 19 and Destiny 2. Next up, let's have a look at the games coming out in the next few weeks. Well, first up, we've got Evil West. That is coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC. That is on November the 22nd. Also on November the 22nd, we've got Gungrave Gore, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and PC. We've got Just Dance 2023, PS5, Xbox Series S and X and Switch. We've got Ship of Fools, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, Switch and PC. Then on the 29th, we've got Last Days of Lazarus. That's coming to the PlayStation 5. Then on the, also on the 29th, we've got Sable coming to PlayStation 5. On the 29th as well, so we've got a few here. Soccer Story, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got the Night Witch, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And then on the 30th, we've got Front Mission First Remake coming to Nintendo Switch and Gundam Evolution. PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Last one on the 30th of November, got Warhammer 40,000 Darktide. That is coming to PC. Then on the 1st of December, we got Inscription coming to Nintendo Switch. Then we got on the 2nd of December, Marvel's Midnight Suns, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. Need for Speed Unbound, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. Then we got Resident Evil Village Winter's Expansion on December the 2nd. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. Finally, on December the 2nd, it's the big one. We've got Callisto Protocol. That is coming to the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, thank you so much for watching or for listening and for more this week in video games content like this. Like, subscribe on YouTube and your favourite podcast app and share with a friend. You can also check us out on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcast in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you soon.